Um, anyway, uh, if you have your Bible with you, please open it to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. We're taking a, a, a short break from our Acts series and doing what we call a Grace and Peace 101. That is the the message of this text and sermon forms a core part of the theology of what it means to be discipled here at Grace and Peace. Um, so uh, it, we're also going to be flipping back and forth a little bit if you're a fast flipper to Deuteronomy chapters uh, uh, 6 and 8. Um, let's pray before we begin. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at your temptation in the wilderness, that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted, that we would be alerted, that we would be formed into disciples that more fully understand your ways and what you're, how you're working in us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a key place in the Bible, very key. It pops up again and again. Lots of, lots of incredibly pivotal things and crucial characters spend time in this place. In the, uh, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books, it, fe it features prominently, let's say. Prophets go there. And in three of the Gospels, we, record, we, are, we get to, to read the time that Jesus spent there. It's not the temple. It's not even in Jerusalem. It's the wilderness. Now, one little bit of cultural distance we have is when we think wilderness, we think North American wilderness, like, 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 like this. Okay? This is what we, wilderness. Oh, yeah. Good times in the wilderness. Let me grab a kayak and some cold ones. I might not come back for a little bit. Yeah, just get a Labrador, get a fetch in there bring my friends to the wilderness. We'll get a wild, edible wild plants book and eat berries. This will be great. And Sam's like, no, that's terrible. Don't take me there. <laughs> okay, so don't think North American wilderness. That's not the wilderness that we find in the Bible. This is the wilderness that, you sh that we find in the Bible. This is what it's like. This is a picture of the Negev. This is an area just south of Israel, and this is very probably the wilderness that Jesus goes to when he is tempted in the wilderness. This is very similar to the wilderness that the Israelites would have wandered to or the prophets would have gone to. Anybody want to go camping? <laughs> no, you don't. There's no kayaking there. There's no berries. Your dog will be eaten by vultures after you are. What's it like to be in this place? Uh, it's a place of insecurity. Where's your shelter? There's not a tree. There's not a tree. There's not a bush. You can't build a lean-to. Where's your water? Where's your food? Where's your protection? It's a place of great insecurity, isn't it? You know, all you're trying to do in the wilderness is survive. Survive, exposure to the elements, thirst, hunger, boredom. Let's not forget that. It is so beige there. Okay. It's a place of suffering. You know, imagine in the ancient world when you didn't even have sunscreen. How are you feeling when you're there? You're thinking, how do I get out? 
right? But what if you can't? Now, I don't need to, to tell you guys, it's not a stretch of the imagination to say that you can have the experience of the wilderness without ever going there. Having the experience of great insecurity or suffering without stepping foot in a place that, like the Negev. In fact, we can have the wilderness right here in Denver or wherever you're joining us from. When we go through times of suffering, when your body used to function great, now your body's not functioning so well anymore. In fact, it hurts every day. Or you found out that you have a life-threatening or chronic illness. That's time in the wilderness. When we lose someone that we love greatly, and there is that, that sick, empty pit that you get, and it won't go away. That's time in the wilderness. When all you want in life is to have somebody and you're still single. When you've got someone and it's troubled. When what you had hoped your life would be has not worked out that way. The job you hoped you'd have, the family you'd hoped you'd have, the person you had hoped to be, like you're, you're looking at, at a pile of dashed dreams. Or when we face insecurity, when resources get low, when we don't know exactly how we're going to pay our bills or pay the rent, when you don't have a job and are having trouble finding one, when you're facing poverty, when you think of the future with great anxiety, that's time in the wilderness. You don't need to go there to be there. Now, there's a temptation in the wilderness when we face these times of great insecurity and suffering. It's to say, where's God? Why am I in the wilderness? If God loves me and God is real, what am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. Things are supposed to work out well. I'm supposed to have enough. I'm supposed to, I, I was told that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. It's not happening. Why am I in the wilderness? Is God good? Is he good to me? Is he real? Now, some of you may be sitting there saying, what are you telling me this for, Matt? My life's been great. Super plush, never going to the wilderness. I'm 25, I've got it, sussed. <laughs> All right? Well, well, my young genius, <laughs> I will say to you the wise words of Master Yoda that he said to Luke when Luke said that he was not afraid to go into that scary cave on Dagobah. You will be. You will. You're going to go. We're all going to spend time in the wilderness. And the question is, how do we walk through it? And what are we supposed to do? And most importantly, have we done something wrong to displease God if we find ourselves there? The good news for us is that Jesus, before we ever went, has already gone through. Look with me at Luke chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry, in case you were wondering if he'd be hungry at the end of eating nothing for 40 days. Um, so how does Jesus get to the wilderness? Has he lost the favor of God? Has God abandoned Jesus? Did Jesus do something to displease God? No, in, in fact, we see right here in verse 1 that full of the Holy Spirit. Can we agree that being full of the Holy Spirit is also an indicator of God's favor being on someone? Okay, God's favor is on Jesus, correct? Not a brain buster. All right, who leads him there? Is it Satan that leads him there? Does he get lost? No, it says led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. That Jesus is led to the wilderness by God on purpose so that he can go through insecurity and suffering. This is good news because it means it is not something going wrong when you find yourself in the wilderness. It is not the devil that brings you to the wilderness, even if you meet him there. But that God has a reason for the wilderness. God has a reason for the wilderness. When, um, y'all are going to hate me, but I used, we, my band, we used to play this, um, this festival in Norway. It was right on the coast. I asked Sharon to marry me there. It was great. And, uh, and the promoter of this festival was a travel agent, and so him showing you around his hometown is, is of epic proportions. And he would get us to do, like, ridiculous things. We didn't know why he was asking us to do them. So, like, one day, he, he, you know, there, there's those um, hand cart things on the train tracks that you see in cartoons, you know? I thought they were just in cartoons. They're real, and they're in Norway still. And he says, okay, guys, hop on, start pumping. And so we're like, all right. His name was Morton. All right, Morton. All right. This seems dicey, but sure. We're going along. Morton, is there going to be trains on this track? He's like, not for many hours. <laughs> and we're like, okay, what's going on here? And we arrive at this old rustic Norwegian cabin. Like, a, like from, the, from the olden days. And we go inside, and he had his friends like dressed up in traditional Norwegian garb. They set out like a lumberjack meal. It was delicious. But like, it, it was amazing. He didn't tell us why, but he had a reason. And it got to the point where when anything Morton said, we did it. He's like, okay, guys, jump off the cliff, swim to the boat. When you get to this place, dive under the cave, wrestle a jellyfish. When you get out, there will be cake. And, and we're like, yes, Morton, jump off the cliff. Here we go. You know, anything the guy said, we learned if he says do it, there's a reason. Okay? Morton never had us do anything in vain, and we learned to trust him. This changes how we experience these times of insecurity and suffering. Because when you're going through the wilderness, you might often say to yourself, and you're going to see it's not you saying it. What's gone wrong? What did I do to lose God's favor? Why? Why is my body breaking down? Why is my child struggling? Why am I going through this suffering or insecurity? Well, the answer is that nothing's gone wrong. That God actually has a reason for the wilderness, just like he had a reason for Jesus to go to the wilderness. 
Here's one thing that really helped me recently. God has a different agenda going on than we do. I, w- I, was reading, um, I was reading an essay by Pope John Paul II, and I was, while I was, you ever read something and you say amen out loud while you're reading it? Like this happened. So I was reading it and he said this one line that I, I thought just put a bow on our entire mentality. He said, our culture tells us that life is a bunch of pleasures to be experienced instead of a work to be accomplished. And I was like, put the book down and just said, wow, my mind just exploded. Because that's right, isn't it? Uh, The goal of our life is to just have as many good experiences as we can. We don't look at it as a work to be accomplished. God has a completely different agenda going. Our goal is happiness and pleasure. His goal for us is holiness and his kingdom. God has a reason for the wilderness. Do you notice that when Jesus goes to the wilderness, it's before he starts his ministry. There's something in the wilderness that Jesus needs. And if Jesus needs it, so do we. Now, what reason could that be? What what, what reason does God have in the wilderness? Well, we're going to see that God teaches us in the wilderness. God teaches us in the wilderness. Now, I'm just going to read the the next several verses, and we're going to be kind of going back and forth between them, all right? So so let's um, let's see what happens with Jesus in the wilderness. Okay, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Okay, so what is, what is Jesus learning in the wilderness? Let, let's pay attention to the first thing is we're going to see the vulnerability of Jesus and the attack of the enemy, okay? So what do we make of these three temptations? The first one, Jesus is hungry. He says, hey, you're the son of God. Turn the stones to bread. Eat something. End your suffering. Why would that be wrong? Well, we have to remember that the purpose that God has for Jesus in the wilderness is to fast. And so to take a shortcut around the suffering of the wilderness would be for Jesus to be unfaithful to God's purposes for him, right? Okay, so let's take note of that. The second one, he takes him up onto the temple, or he takes him up onto a high place and says, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I'll give you all this, just worship me. 
Okay? Now, we could see why worshiping the devil would be wrong, but what is the temptation here? Well, it's that Jesus was going to be king of all this, but there was a cross on the way, wasn't there? And the temptation here is, I'll give you this, your goal achieved no cross, no suffering. What about the third one? Throw yourself off the, the temple, right? And then you're like, hey, that's not that high. It would just be broken legs. <laughs> I don't want to break your legs, but actually this would have probably been a place at the temple that overlooks the Kidron Valley, so like a 500-foot uh, drop, so certain death. And, uh, and, and again, you say, hey, you're the son of God. Throw yourself off. Nothing bad's going to happen. Do you, do, you, do you hear it yet? Are you seeing the pattern? God loves you, huh? God's good. You're favored by God, son of God, all that. What are you doing here? Why are you hungry, Jesus? Why do you have to go to that cross? Nothing bad should be happening to you. You shouldn't be suffering if God loves you. Right? That's what the voice of the enemy sounds like. It says, if God truly loved you, you wouldn't be in the wilderness. You wouldn't be suffering or insecure. Nothing bad happens to you if God loves you. Now, did you guys notice how it said at the end that he left him until an opportune time? Boy, is that ever a, a, a to-be-continued, huh? Do you know that the, that the devil never comes back explicitly and says, I'm back, Jesus! You know where you might hear it? Is when Jesus is mocked on the cross and they say to him, Hey, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah, what are you doing up there on that cross? You're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to be suffering. Or in the book of Matthew, when Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to suffer and die, you know what Peter says to Jesus? No, you don't need to do that. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. That's the voice of Satan. It's the one that says to you in the wilderness, you shouldn't be suffering. You don't need to suffer heartbreak. You shouldn't experience insecurity. Everything should work out. Your body shouldn't be breaking down. Your loved ones shouldn't be dying. Why is it important? Why does God need to teach us our vulnerabilities and the voice of the enemy? Well, to quote the great Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, he said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. We've got to ask ourselves, when we're in the wilderness, where am I being shown that I am vulnerable? Because a lot of the time, we're not even aware we're being attacked. When in, in 2016, when we were getting to launch Grace and Peace, like Sharon and I were going a mile a minute, and one day we were having the worst fight like anyone's ever had. And, and we, we stopped because we'd been fighting a lot lately, and it got so ridiculous that, that we were both like, like yelling at each other, and we just kind of looked at each other like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. And I was like, oh, we're under spiritual attack here, aren't we? She's like, yeah, I think so. Right? And, and it's like, it took us that long. We were unable to recognize the attack of the enemy until it got ridiculous. I know we don't want to think 
of the Christian life as being partly a battle, but it is. God has a reason for the wilderness, and God teaches us in the wilderness. Where we're vulnerable and what the voice of the enemy sounds like. Now, I want to be as gracious as I can be to those I disagree with, but there is a form of Christian teaching which many of us have taken on board. It's called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And it it says, hey, God is good and God loves you, so you're always going to be successful. You're going to have the best life. You're going to have the life that you dreamed of. You're going to be healthy until the day that you suddenly go out surrounded by your grandkids singing hymns. But other than that, everything's going to be real nice and smooth. And if not, if you do get cancer, if you don't have a job, if you do lose a child, it's because your faith isn't strong enough. I always try to be very careful with my words, but that teaching is the voice of Satan. You hear it, don't you? God loves you. Everything is going to work out. That is what the devil tells us and makes us question God and his goodness when we find ourselves in suffering or insecurity. Here's the other thing. If God leads us into the wilderness, he's also going to lead us out. What do we make of the answers of Jesus? Now, uh, if if we're paying attention and looking at the quotation marks, we're seeing that Jesus answers the temptations of Satan with scripture. Okay, let's, let's take a look at, at, uh, at the scriptures that Jesus quotes. So first of all, with the, the bread one, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, verse 3. Let's take a look. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, for those of you who don't know, Deuteronomy is a series of sermons preached by Moses to the Israelites who had come out of Egypt. So, or, or the second generation after. They had been in the wilderness with God. And they had seen the miraculous manna that God had given to them when they were hungry. And so Moses is reminding them it's not bread that's important, but, but, that, that, but that God is there to provide for us. So Jesus' first answer was recalling the Israel, Israelites' time in the wilderness and how God provided for them there. And then for the second one, where uh, Satan tells him to worship him, uh, he, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, which says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Okay. So once again, he's talking about, Moses here is talking about how God brought them out of Egypt and and through the wilderness. All right, so first one, God provided bread for them in the wilderness when they were hungry. Second one, God took took you through the wilderness. Third one is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did 
at Massah. This is the, this is the one where, where Satan says, you know, throw yourself off the temple. And he says, don't put your God to the test as you did at Massah. Now, most of us are like, what's Massah? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. All right, so back in the book of Exodus, God delivers the Israelites out of the house of slavery, takes them out into the wilderness. And then Pharaoh's army pursues them. And you know what they do? They fall apart immediately. They're like, oh, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You could have let us die there. You brought us out to the wilderness to kill us here. That's all God really wants. He hates us and he's not good. And then he opens the Red Sea and he smashes the army. All right. Then they're hungry, and they say, oh, if only we were back in Egypt where we had meat pots. It's in the Bible, meat pots. We had meat pots. We want meat pots. And, and <laughs> you brought us out here to starve us to death, God. You really hate us. You don't love us at all, and you're not good. And he provides for them manna, which is miraculous bread from heaven, and pigeons for some meat. I need your protein. And then they start running low on water. And so they say, well, God's delivered us before in the wilderness. Surely, no, they don't do that at all. They say, oh, the, <laughs> the deliverance from the army was because you want to kill us and the food is just to fatten us for it. You want us to have some babies so our babies can die of thirst. Right? And, and yes, this is what my, my grandparents sound like. But, <laughs> but. And, and so then, and that, that happened at Massah, at where, where God ends up providing water out of a rock for them. So I've heard this preached before as like Jesus is doing sort of a Bible duel with Satan. And Satan's like, temptation. She's just like, blocked Bible verse. And then, you know, another one's like, other oh, Bible verse, but it's the correct one. It blocked that different attack. And then, and then the third one, he's like, oh, counterattack, stab you, Satan, with Bible verse. And Satan's like, no. What a world, what a world. It's not what's happening. We actually see Satan quote the Bible back at Jesus from Psalm 91. Satan has no problem listening to Bible verses. Do, do you hear what Jesus is actually saying? Yes, Jesus is relying on the word of God and, and how he knows God, but he refers to three times where what? God delivered his people in and through the wilderness. So he says, I just don't need to listen to you. These temptations don't hold water. I know God. God is a God who brings you through the wilderness. Okay? God proves himself in the wilderness. So God has a reason for the wilderness. God teaches us in, in the wilderness, and God proves himself in the wilderness. Now, my, my condolences to Celtics fans this week. I'm a Lakers fan, so don't hate me too much here. But uh, the, one of the great Lakers was a guy named Jerry West. Anybody know who Jerry West is? If you ever see the NBA logo, he's the logo, right? The silhouette of Jerry West, that's, they call him the logo. But back in the day, his nickname was Mr. Clutch. And for those of you non-sporty people, clutch means that you hit big shots in, when your team is down and you win the game when you could lose. Is that all clicking? You don't, yeah. It doesn't matter if you've never played a bounce around ball. You get that. That's what clutch is. Jerry West was Mr. Clutch. Here's the thing. To learn that Jerry West is Mr. Clutch, you've got to be what? You've got to be down. If you're always leading the, the game by 10 points, you never find out that Jerry West is clutch, do you? 
You have to be down for Jerry West to prove that he's Mr. Clutch, do you not? Here's the thing, when we are in times of suffering and insecurity, it's when God proves himself to us. This is when theory becomes reality. How can you truly say, I know God comes through, unless you face some obstacles to get through? How can you truly say, Jesus is all I need, until Jesus is all you have? It's only theory until then, right? How can we say God is good all the time unless we're going through some bad times for God to be good in? Making sense? If you never go through the wilderness, you'll never see who God really is. I want just to encourage those of you who are there right now, who are going through times of dryness, of insecurity, and of suffering, God is going to be there for you. This is where you get to experience who God is. In the desperate times, when things don't work out, this is when faith becomes truly real. So God has a reason for the wilderness. God teaches us in the wilderness, and God proves himself in the wilderness. We need, when we are in the wilderness, we need to walk with God through the wilderness. And what does that mean? It means, first of all, we stay committed to walking with God. There is a real temptation it, it, when you are depressed, when you're anxious, when, when the, the circumstances of this wilderness period just weigh on you to not want to open the scriptures, to back away from community, right? D to do the very things that are going to be counterproductive to getting through the wilderness, Winston Churchill once said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Okay? When, when we stop walking is when we start to fall prey to that very temptation. When that is God good question becomes God's not good. That's where it happens. So we need to stay committed. We need to keep hearing the truth. We need to keep speaking the gospel to ourselves that God has a reason, God's teaching me, and God proves himself here. And, and this is going to sound nuts, and maybe it is. Don't waste the wilderness. Don't waste the wilderness. When we find ourselves in times of insecurity and suffering, the one thought on our mind is, I've got to get out of here. Now, I want to encourage you, don't pray to go to the wilderness. Do not pray that prayer. No one. Please, 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 please. I... You're going to go there eventually. Don't pray to go there, okay? <laughs> but when we are there, it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity that we don't get otherwise to get to know God. It's, it's where we're actually transformed and become real believers, not just theoretical believers. If God is going to break us down from our idols and teach us to trust him, if God is going to, if God is going to work on my pride, is it by me always succeeding? No, it's going to be 
by me having to wrestle with some failure. If we are self-reliant, are we going to get over our faith in ourselves by always being able to take care of ourselves? Or are we going to need to go through a time where we're helpless? You see, this is where God actually shows up and works in us. We need to walk with God through the wilderness. Back um, May 25th, 2019, uh, some of you guys haven't been around long enough to have heard this story, but um, we were uh, five days away from closing on our house because we, we had a vacant lot by the grace of God, not because we bought it, but it just happened. Yeah, it's a long story. And, uh, and so we were going to sell the house we were in, which was we have five kids, so... Father's Day, yay. Um, there you go. We celebrated Father's Day. Um, five kids in a 1,700-square-foot a, a house that are all getting bigger. I know people have dealt with worse, but we had an opportunity to build something that fit our family better. We thought we were home free. And um, five days from closing, did I mention that? And I was up with, uh, with one of our kids, and it was like 6.30 a.m. I smelled smoke. Like, what's that? It smells like smoke. Something in our neighborhood's on fire, which in our neighborhood isn't all that unusual. So I went outside. I was like, where's the smoke coming from? And I turn around and I, I look up at our house. I see some, something that looked like dust coming off the roof. And I was like, huh, dust on our roof. Like it wasn't clicking. And I was like, oh, maybe that's smoke on our roof. How's that? Now, it turned out we had had our new roof put on, and part of this process is torch down, where you, with a propane torch, you melt on the roof. I ran inside. I ran upstairs, and my kid's room was filled with smoke. And so Frankie, who was awake with me, I was like, get everybody out. And we all got everybody out, called the fire department, and... <laughs> And like Sharon and I are sitting there in our pajamas with the kids in the van behind us, looking at our house, hearing the sirens come around and seeing the firemen go in. And we're like, maybe we could still close in five days. <laughs> maybe this is just like creme brulee. They could real quick take the top off. And, and then one of the firefighters took his big pole thing and like smashed at our kid's window and all the smoke comes billowing, billowing out. And we're like, oh, probably not now. And so we were rolling away with our pajamas and a couple of stuffed animals, having no idea what was going to happen. You know, we're like, I think we have insurance, <laughs> right? And no place to stay, N nothing. And we, we had no idea if we'd even have a house. Now, God brought us through it, but that year... And that was a time in the wilderness. It was a time of incredible insecurity. At the same time, grace and peace was in dire financial straits. And so I had to go out raising money. And so we were facing this insecurity and these trials on every side. Here's what I learned. I am not invincible <laughs> to stress or to fear. I learned that when the devil attacks, it's going to be at my, at, at my failures, Right? But God brought us through the wilderness, and I saw he had a reason in how he taught us. We need to walk with God through the wilderness. Please pray with me. Jesus, as you were faithful in the wilderness, so help us to be.
I pray for those who are experiencing suffering and insecurity right now, that you would encourage them, that your gospel would give them strength to endure the wilderness and also be transformed more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.